Mac Power Users, episode 326, WWDC Special Edition, 2016. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside my pal David Sparks, live in San Francisco. How are you, David? I'm doing great, Katie. How are you? Did you, did you get to watch the uh, the big event? I did watch the big event. I'm, I'm a little jealous that I didn't get to watch it uh, from San Francisco, where you are right now, though. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, all of our developer friends are here in San Francisco learning about what Apple has going on. I guess we should explain for those of you that aren't aware of WWDC. It's the Apple Worldwide Developer Conference. It happens once a year in San Francisco, and it's where Apple explains all of the new features for the next version of the Mac OS and iOS and the watch and the TV that they're going to be unleashing on the world. And that gives the developers a few months. Uh, these things usually get released sometime around September. And that gives developers a few months to kind of start playing with the new features and getting them incorporated into their apps. So for about a week, it's just a big party here uh, in downtown San Francisco with a lot of our favorite Mac and uh, iOS people. Yeah. And we should mention this. We're recording this just a couple of hours after the keynote. Uh, you are actually recording this from your hotel room. So you're on a different mic, a different setup. And I think there's a vacuum cleaner going on behind you or something. So, yeah, yes, they have decided to start vacuuming right outside my room just as we began recording. So well, I'm going to be shushing myself. Of course they have, because that's that's how we roll. So uh, as WWDC 2016 was kind of as expected as far as announcements went, we got a two hour long keynote. It was all software related. We did not get any hardware announcements, which is a little disappointed, but but candidly not unexpected. Um, but still, I'm very excited about some of the things that were announced today. And I, I know you are as well. Yeah, you know, they had a full schedule. They went the full two hours and there was very little fluff in the presentation. So I kind of see why they didn't release hardware because they had their hands full just getting all the information out about the upgrades, to the operating systems. Yeah, I noticed it was a nice pace to the presentations. It, it seemed like they were they were fast, but not too fast. And uh, there was not a lot of fluff in these presentations. They really, you could tell that they really spent some time paring it down. I think they've probably got some flack in previous years about things running long or, or superfluous things being in there. And I think when appropriate, they, they brought some of their key people out to give presentations. We saw Eddie Q, we saw Craig Federici. But then when appropriate, they, they also had an opportunity for some of uh, their employees to shine and give some demos. And I think that also helped keep things a little more on topic, perhaps. Yeah, I felt like last year's presentation was kind of self-indulgent. If that makes any sense. It, and if you saw it, they were they were like dancing on the stage and they were making jokes between each other that didn't really fly. I, I don't know. I just I didn't care that much for last year's presentation uh, this year. And, and obviously, this is not about just the presentation. But of course, I wrote a book about presentations, So I'm always interested in to see how Apple does this stuff. This year, it seemed like they were much more focused and on target. And there were some really big features that just got mentioned in passing. Uh, I'm really curious to see how uh, some of this stuff plays out. Well, and I think some of that is also a little foreshadowing. Um, some of the things that I think may have got mentioned in passing, we'll see flushed out a little bit more at perhaps a September event, perhaps when hardware is released that will really allow some of these new features to shine. 
Perhaps there'll be some additional features. Apple has done that before, where what we see at this WWDC event in June is just a sneak peek at some of the features. Is really just the the meat of what the developers need in the feature, and and then we'll see some kind of surprised features announced, perhaps to coincide with hardware. And uh, you know, I think that's also a possibility as well. Yeah. So, so the format for this show is a little different than the usual Mac Power Users episode. We're not talking about apps that you can go get right now and get more productive with, but instead we're talking about uh, a series of new features and directions Apple is taking its hardware and its operating systems that are going to be you know, unrolled, I guess rolled out in the next uh, two to three months. So we're going to be talking about some stuff that's coming and how we see that affecting workflows and getting work done. Right. So let's kind of go and we'll follow the same order that the keynote did. And that brings our first topic being watchOS 3, which uh, was announced. They said that it will come out in the fall. And the the big thing that they, I think that the overall theme of this presentation was, we get it. We we hear you. I, I think a lot of what they focused on in, in watchOS 3 was refining the existing um, uh, feature set of the watch making improvements where a lot of improvements needed to be made. And really where they added new features and they added modifications was really building on to what they had existing. I don't think we saw a bunch of totally new bells and whistles get added, but really more so enhancing the already existing feature set. I thought by far the biggest deal with the watch announcements was the speed at which it was running. Uh, They were launching apps and the apps were launching really quickly. I mean, right now, when you launch an app with a watch, a lot of times you get that spinning wheel and sometimes the app launches and sometimes it doesn't. It just feels like it's almost unworkable with the current version. Right. And one of the things that we were told is that watch apps will launch now or can launch about seven times faster. And I'm sure one of the things that we'll get more details about as the sessions go on and that that Apple will really be queuing developers about is what can they do to optimize their watch apps specifically for watchOS 3. And it sounds like when they put all of these enhancements in place, we could see app launch times about seven times faster. And that is huge. And keep in mind that there was no new hardware announced today. While there may be a new version of the Apple Watch in progress, what excited me most about this is everything that was announced today about watchOS 3 was announced based on the existing hardware. Maybe there'll be some new watch hardware in the fall. Maybe there won't. But even if there isn't, everything that Apple showed today is going to work with the watch that is currently on your wrist and currently for sale. I am after the event, I had lunch with a bunch of nerd friends and there were some people there from uh, various fruit companies. And one of them said to me, he says, this is all software. I mean, I, cause I asked him, I said, is that running hardware? Because it's almost unbelievable to me that they can launch this fast now and that the apps are this much more efficient. And, and, um, from an unnamed source, I guess I could say people are saying that, no, this is all software based. I have to admit, though, it makes me wonder if they could improve the performance that much with software. I mean, what what happened with the initial release of the Apple Watch software? I mean, how come it wasn't more efficient from the beginning? I I don't know. And, And I suspect that developers will have a fair amount of work to do on their end as well. And, and Apple will be giving them them details about that. So, But th- this is huge. I mean, this is one of the biggest reasons that people aren't using watchOS or at least aren't using third-party apps on watchOS is because how long it takes to do anything. We also saw that Apple was starting to rethink some of the design to watchOS. You know, for one, I, I couldn't help but notice that that side button that was that previously I don't use at all on my watch was, was just for 
bringing up your friends is now getting some additional uses. We're starting to see the layout of watchOS get some changes, such as uh, we're seeing Notification Center come to the watch. We're seeing a dock, uh, certainly not a dock that we're uh, the same type of dock we're used to seeing, but a dock come to the watch to make it quicker to swipe back and forth between different apps. I think Apple is also rethinking the the design and the use of the app, uh, the watch as well. Yeah, the efficiency of using the app or the watch is really improved with this, these updates. It's watch OS 3. They, um, one of the things they focused on was so many actions you can do now in fewer taps. So if you want to open and send a text message, like when you get the text message, the replies are already fed to you. You don't have to press a button to reply. Uh, they've just gone through and eliminated a lot of the external or the extra steps wherever possible. Um, we also saw some some refinement. We saw some new watch faces. I couldn't help but smile and think of Daisy when the mini watch face popped up. This this whole presentation made me think of my wife because um, I miss her because I'm away. But um, the things like the improvements to messages and the, these types of improvements are the things that she I'm sure she'll like. But yeah, so Daisy, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Minnie Mouse is now a watch face on your Apple Watch. Right. And That's we got some some new watch faces like the activity watch face, the numeral watch face. It's now very easy to swipe back and forth again between watch faces. And although they didn't touch on this strongly, they did. There was a line that dropped in that said more complications can now be added to faces, which is welcome. Yeah. And especially with respect to some of the custom faces, like the picture face, I think is kind of fun. It'd be fun to have a picture there that I want to use as a watch face. But the lack of complications in it make it really difficult for me to use that face and they showed some specific uh, examples of adding complications to faces that previously didn't have them. Um, we also got a few new apps for Watch, some that have been missing for a while, notably Reminders and Find My Friends have now come to the Watch. We, yeah, can had... I just say for a second, I, how you know, that's another one. How did the thing sh uh, ship without Reminders? I mean, it's so natural to go into the grocery store. Uh, we use Reminders as a shared grocery list in our house. Why wouldn't you be able to just turn your wrist up and access reminders? I'm, I'm so glad that they fixed that this year. Well, you've always been able to add reminders through the Apple Watch through Siri, but you've never been able to access them. So I, I agree. That's huge. Yeah. Um, you've always had to use third party apps for that. And then find my friends. I'm not sure how useful that will be on such a small screen, but it, I like it being there. Well, they, they didn't show the user interface for find friends. They made reference to it. We use it. I would actually watch the keynote. I, I wasn't one of the, the charmed that got a you know invitation from Apple. So Casey List from Accidental Tech Podcast had a nice room and a bunch of us just congregated there and watched it on his big screen TV. And everybody in the room kind of snorted, you know, when I said, I, I really want to find my friends on my Apple Watch. But I think it's when you have older kids, it's just so useful. So I'm I'm really looking forward to see, being able to you know check in on the kids just looking at my wrist. So well, you really do now have Mrs. Weasley's clock. Yeah, it's, I, it's a watch, and it will find your family. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? And and they they've got some new stuff going on too. They uh, they have the workouts starting quicker, which is a big deal if you if you do those workouts. I am. Um, we. I, do, you you do spinning with your watch, right? I do. Right. I mean, it's always kind of nutty how long it takes. Uh, one thing they didn't mention, I hope, is improved, is the response time for Siri on the watch. 
because that's another issue for me to activate Siri on the watch, but then have to sit around and wait for it to start listening. Yeah. And, you know, you taught me that trick where you could just do a, a quick, um, you know, start a you know, start a treadmill workout or start an elliptical workout. I did not know that you could do that with Siri. And it seems now you can start workouts even faster. I hope I, I really am. This is the most skeptical I was of the whole presentation is when they showed things launching super fast on the watch and being very responsive. I feel like I saw that before when they first announced the watch and it didn't really deliver that. Like one of the examples they did during the presentation was the Lyft. The application Lyft is like a competitor to Uber if you're not familiar with them. And they did a thing where they use the Lyft Apple Watch to request a ride. And it was like within one or two seconds of pressing the button that the ride was on the way for them. And I know for a fact, when you do those things, your your phone has to send out a signal to say where they're at. The car service has to pair with you and find you a driver and then get back with you. I, I've never had it work that fast on the phone. So how on earth can you do a demo with a watch where you can do it all in a couple seconds? I That makes me a little nervous. Well, it could just be with that, the whole thing about the whole seven times faster thing. I mean, maybe everything across the board is really faster. I sure hope so. That that will make it uh, much more possible to run third-party apps. Now, are you what third-party apps are you currently running on your watch? Um, honestly, I, I have really, really pared down the watch so that I'm running almost no third-party apps. Uh, just simply because it was such a poor experience. I, I do have OmniFocus on there. I do have one password on there. I have drafts on there. Uh, I have Fantastical on there, but I still use the calendar app for all my notifications because I think it's a little more reliable for, to use the first party app for notifications. But that's about it right now. I would love to use more third party apps on my watch, but it's just been so slow and I hope it's better now. It's funny because I am using the exact same set that you are. I don't have a single difference. I actually turn do, I'm sorry, uh, drafts into a um, complication because that's the one third party app that I can find is more or less reliable because it does such little action. You just tap on it and you can talk into it and it saves it to your inbox. But the other, while I use the other watch apps, I don't put them on my complication screen because of the delay. All right. Uh, continuing on with Apple Watches, uh, there were um, a, a new feature, which, you know, honestly, this is one that has been very, um, uh, one that's been on my mind recently, is SOS is now on the Apple Watch. And um, so basically, uh, some people were making fun of this in the keynote uh, in my Twitter stream, but I think it's very important. But it's basically a feature that if you find yourself in trouble, uh, you can press and hold the side button on your Apple Watch for, I think it's three or four seconds, and it will count down so that you accidentally don't bump it. And it will call emergency services for you and then send out a notification to your emergency contacts that you're in a situation where you need help. And it will then display your medical ID, which is now available on the watch. And this is something, I, you know, that I have thought about this as a as a single woman who who lives alone. I've thought about you know, what if, God forbid, something something happens? You know, um, where can I quickly get help if my phone is out of reach or or something something happens to me and I feel like I'm I'm in a bad situation? And my watch is always on my wrist. I mean, pretty much unless I'm in the shower, it's the first thing that I put on in the morning and the last thing that I take off at night. And it's right there. And, you know, David, you know this. We we recently had a situation with my my elderly grandmother where 
she took a fall out in her out in her garage and you know people laugh about it but but she had one of those she doesn't have an apple watch but she had one of those emergency alert buttons and um she broke some bones and she could not get up to call for help and thank goodness she had that because uh within 10 minutes help was there and uh you know it's something that people people laugh about but it can really be a lifesaver no i think it's a i think it's a good thing the other thing it does is sends your location so not only does it call 911 it'll send your location so if you're in trouble they know where to find you i yeah you know, i i don't see anything funny about it at all i think it's a it's a nice feature and that that extra button you know that we've had under the crown that was used to contact friends and send doodles and heartbeats it's just not been used it just i don't think it got picked up on the way they thought it would I was in a room full of Apple Watches. The one time of the year that I'm around a lot of people that have Apple Watches is when I'm at WWDC. And last night I asked, has anybody in the room used that friend button on their Apple Watch in the last 30 days? And not a single person had. So uh, I like what they're doing. So if you just tap the, the what used to be the friend button, now you get kind of a dock where you can mix between your favorite apps. If you hold it down, you can call 911 or whatever the emergency services number is in your country. I think overall, this is uh, Apple acknowledging that they they didn't get it right the first time. You know, once people started buying the device and started using it, they realized that that feature wasn't that popular. So they found a better thing for it. Um, and then we also got some, some other additional new apps. Um, for example, Activity got a big update Although the activity app is still there, it got a, some big uh, updates, including activity sharing, which is something that I know a lot of Fitbit users use and something that I've been a little jealous of. You know, getting in shape with the Apple Watch has been one of my goals, but I'm kind of that person who needs a little bit of an extra challenge. And, you know, having friends that I could be buddies with, uh, you know, is something that I think would be very helpful. I'm totally making you my friend, my buddy uh, for exercise, Katie. Well, see, and now, now I got to do it. Now the game is on and I got to totally can, smash you. Yeah. It's just like public shaming. I think we should just give each other updates on the air that, that will get me out of bed. You know, get me rolling. Yeah. I, I have I to warn you though. I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I've had like perfect weeks. I haven't had a perfect month yet, but I quite often have perfect weeks. So you, oh, you've been warned. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's important. They also, um, added additional features for people who are in wheelchairs. And I think that's a very nice touch. And then they also added a companion app called Breathe. And I don't have a meditation practice, although I think it might be helpful some days, but I'm curious, I know that you do or or have uh, at certain times. I'm wondering what you think about this. Yeah, I've had one for, I've lost track now. It's probably 15 years, but, and I don't talk about it too much on the show because it's kind of hippie nonsense and a lot of people think it's weird, but I have a mindfulness meditation practice that works for me and I just need a timer for it. And there's a lot of really good meditation timer apps in the app store. Uh, this is one that's focused on breathing, which is one of the first ways you learn to do meditation is, is focusing on your breath. And if that's a way for people to get into this, I think, you know, more power to them. I hope it really takes off. Um, and then also lots of new APIs for developers, APIs for Apple Pay, APIs to allow fitness apps to run in the app uh, background, um, support for Sprite and SceneKit, which will allow apps to be a little more complicated, although that could maybe undo some of the uh, some of the speed savings. But it, it seems like, you know, Apple is really paying attention to the Apple Watch. 
I had to laugh. I was sitting next to a game developer when they announced Sprite Kit for the watch, and she just snorted. I don't think she was impressed. No. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't know how much. But the fact that they're they're coming up with those things for the watch means that graphics in general would hopefully be more efficient and speedy on the watch. So I, it's funny because usually the the when they release these new betas, I usually wait two or three months before I install them because I don't want to, you know, ruin my life. And the way you install the beta is you put it on your phone and start carrying it around. And for the watch, to get the watch beta, you've got to have the, as I understand it, you've got to have the iOS iPhone beta installed on your phone. This really tempts me to want to install the iPhone beta because I just want to get these features on my watch today. I was very impressed with the watch uh, presentation and a little bit skeptical. All right. Well, anything else? Any final thoughts on uh, on Watch OS? They they did mention that the preview release is available today for developers, and it will be a free upgrade for Apple Watch users in the fall. Yeah, it's uh, uh, one of the things I noted is, and this was a running theme throughout the day, was the reference to Chinese um, or China, and like you can you can scribble on the watch. In fact, we didn't mention that when you're writing a reply to a message, if you don't have the standard reply you have and you don't want to use Siri, you can actually just use your finger to write text on the screen one letter at a time and it will convert it to text and it'll do the same thing with Chinese. I thought that was a nice feature. Yeah. The other, um, you, you could definitely tell Apple had a strong emphasis on, on China and you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, you can not only do that with Chinese, but you can also do that in um, English as well. You can, I, if you remember graffiti, the popular palm language, you can now handwrite out letters on watchOS. I'm not sure how, I don't know if that's more gimmicky. You know, the, the drawing features on watchOS I thought was very gimmicky, but you, you can now do it with actual text and it will recognize it. I think, I think for some people, it'll be a real thing. I, you know, it just depends on the person, but, but why not? I, I do. Though, I, I still those. tell you, um, I you know how in the graffiti language, certain letters you had to make certain Wait, ways. Don't, don't tell me. Let me guess. T, right? Did you uh, change your T? F. My F's F. are what I still draw in yeah. graffiti way. Yeah. Which T. Is, it took me years to get off the graffiti T. Yeah. So we're such it, nerds, Katie. People think that I'm weird. I, <laughs> I do go back and finish the line with the F, but that's that's still how I start my F's and backwards. Um, one so thing the, I also, so the computer, so you learned to write to accommodate the computer instead of the computer accommodating you. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, I did notice that there was no mention of battery improvements with iOS 3. And I think that if there had been significant battery improvements, that would have been at the top of Apple's list to mention. I don't see how they can improve battery through software. I mean, maybe it's a little more efficient, but you're not going to, it's not going to be monumentally different. And frankly, battery is not a problem if you look at it as a charge once a day product. Do you ever have your watch run out of charge on you? I have had it, I would say less than a half dozen times it has run out of charge on me. And so because it's been less than a half dozen times and over a year of ownership, I kind of chalk those up to flukes. Maybe it didn't quite get a good charge the night before. Maybe there was an errant app running in the background. So uh, I don't think it's a major issue. Yeah. All right. Well, they they've got some interesting stuff coming for the watch. If you're already a watch owner, you're going to get this in the fall. And I want to move on to the next thing, which is the Apple TV and TVOS. So let's do that right after this message. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Audible. With over 180,000 audiobooks, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com mpu. Since you're listening to a podcast, you already get the advantage of listening to audio content. In fact, you probably have some nice habits like listening to the Mac Power Users while driving to work or perhaps mowing the lawn. Why not go ahead and add some books to the mix? Audible has over 180,000 audio programs from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and more. No matter what your interest is, there's something there for you. And the thing is that these are really well-produced audiobooks. They use professional voice actors, and they just sound great. I like to use Audible for fiction books because that's probably the best way for me to consume them. And I like the actors. They really bring life to the words. Now, the last time I talked about Audible, I pointed you at the Aubrey Maturin series, which was set during the Napoleonic Wars. I think it's only natural that this time I do a follow-up that's kind of related. There's a wonderful author. Her name is Naomi Novik, N-O-V-I-K. She wrote for video games, and at some point she stumbled into the Aubrey Maturin series I was talking about, and she fell in love with it too. And she decided she wanted to write something like that in that space. So she stayed with the Napoleonic Wars, but instead she added dragons. The series is called the Timuraire series, and the primary dragon is named Timuraire, and he's a very special dragon. There's already eight books in the series. The ninth book is coming out in just a few weeks. I've already pre-ordered it, and I can't wait to listen to it on Audible. The author really manages to capture the society of the Napoleonic Wars at the same time that they have these talking dragons. The characters are engaging, and it's really a joy to see how they develop from book to book as their lives progress. So check out the Timuraire series and, and let me know what you think about it. But even if you're not interested in that, Audible's got something for everyone. They just released a 10th anniversary edition of Neil Gaiman's American Gods. If you like nonfiction, they've got you covered too. My family is currently listening to the Chernow biography of Alexander Hamilton with all this Hamilton craze going on, and we're learning tons. There are also a lot of great self-help titles, including David Allen's Getting Things Done. With 180,000 titles, you're going to find something you like. Head over to audible.com mpu to get started with your 30-day free trial, and don't forget to grab their app if you want to listen on the go. Thank you so much to Audible.com for your support of this show and Relay FM. I am a big Apple TV user, David. And I got to tell you, I, I have really been using this new Apple TV, I think, more than I have any other version of Apple TV. Um, and, you know, I'm a cord cutter. So I, I use alternate, you know, I use streaming services. I use those types of things quite a bit. So I'm I'm really excited about some of these updates to, to tvOS. Though begrudgingly, it is still not the ultimate cord killer box for me. Um, it's getting getting better, getting closer, especially with some of the apps that were announced. But um, it's not quite there yet. I, I still haven't found the the developments that I want with it yet. But doesn't a lot of the developments you're looking for depend on the networks playing ball with Apple? To some degree. I mean, I'd like to see in-app purchases on Apple TV. I, a lot of that does. You know, I'd I'd like to be able to pay you know, uh, CNN $5 a month to be able to get that as an in-app purchase. And, you know, that's, that's not an option yet, but yeah, I, I don't think there's anything, I think all the pieces are there and there's nothing preventing them from do that. Uh, you know, I think it's just the networks aren't willing to defy the big, the big providers. Yeah. The cable providers throw a lot of weight 
and there's, there's just so many people making money in this. There's the networks, there's the cable providers. And I think this problem is going to be really difficult to solve. To me, the gating issue really is the fact that I still have to go to the same guy that sells me a cable subscription to get the internet connection to my house. Uh, if someday we have, through the magic of the you know, modern technology, we have the ability to make like a community Wi-Fi or some way that everybody can just have access to the internet for maybe even some small sum you pay a public utility like your electric company, then is when I think you're going to have real upset with the way people monetize programming. But for the meantime, you still have to pay for that cable company. So they're going to do everything they can to keep you writing them checks. Right. But they did make reference. So, so a couple things that I thought were interesting is they referenced 1300 video channels. And some of these are, you know, they're really good channels. I don't know if you've explored in the app store too much lately, and but they have 600 native apps, 1300 video channels. So that's a lot of content you can get in through your Apple TV. And one of the things they said is they're going to be adding a Sling app. And Sling is a way to license and watch uh, popular network content. I, I have not worked with or ever had an account with Sling. Do you have any familiarity with them? Yeah, I actually reviewed them. And if I can find it, I'll put the link in the, the show notes to my review of Sling. So Sling is basically um, a, an an attempt at kind of on-demand internet video. I, I tried them out for a month and I ultimately canceled my account because they're, they're low tier. Star- they basically put together a basic package of um, online content, uh, live television content for you um, using a basic tier of networks. And then you can add on from there. And their basic package starts at $20 a month. And then if you're a sports person, you can add on a sports package for an additional five or $10 a month. And uh, if, if you like arts and entertainment, they I mean, they have different types of packages that you can then add on. And it's a great idea. I think it's about as close to the a la carte cable channel as we can probably get. Uh, it just, for, for me, there wasn't enough customization. If it was an option where you could build your own package and say, I want these 20 channels for my $10 a month, or I want this selection of channels for my $20 a month, I think it would be something that I would be more apt to do. But um, for the price and for the channels that were offered, um, you know, it's not not sure that it it's worth it to me, but I think it's a good start. Yeah, I, I hope that somebody figures it out because I would like to have more options than to just write a big check to the cable company every month. Yeah. Um, they also announced the Fox Sports is going to have uh, stuff coming this summer. Uh, there's a French service called Molotov that they talked about, but those were just little highlights. I think the big statement there is that they have 1300 video channels and probably a lot more in the pipeline. Yeah. So it, also- I think they're, they're heading in the right direction. The, uh, the big thing, and this was hinted a little bit on, on the talk show episode where Craig Federici and was it Craig and Eddie? I, I, I know it was Eddie Q. I, I think Craig Federici was the other one, um, was on where they kind of let slip that there's a new Apple TV remote app coming. And, and sure enough, it is. And it's basically a new app for the Apple TV that um, says, you know, can basically do everything that the Apple TV remote do, including touch navigation, access Siri to give voice commands, and access the accelerometer and the gyroscope so that you can actually play games with your your iPhone instead of buying a new Apple TV remote. Um, does this make you feel a little bit better 
uh, about maybe not having to have your kids use that $75 remote? It actually makes me feel worse because now I can just imagine my kids throwing a $600 iPhone through a $1,000 TV screen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, maybe maybe you should get them the phone of uh, a case with a strap on it. I actually, you, you uh, published a little rubber case that you found yes. for your Apple TV remote. So I bought one. Uh, I bought the one you recommended and I, it's nice. Yeah. I like that. I still, I have that case on both of my Apple TVs and it has a little lanyard strap and I, I have that one on my Apple TV in my bedroom because that's where I, I tend to work out on the elliptical machine, but I haven't and put the lanyard on my living room. We'll have to make sure to get that in the show notes. Uh, it's just like some little, you know, small manufacturer. I think it was like all of like $10 to buy the thing. Yeah. It was like less than 10 bucks on Amazon. The the one thing I don't like about it is uh, the advancing and forward and backward. You know, if you click on the left or right edge of the touchpad area of the iPad remote, um, you get a physical click and it goes back, I believe, 10 seconds or forward 10 seconds. And I use that quite often. And with that little cover that I bought that you recommended, it, it's very difficult to make that work consistently. Yeah, because it, it keeps a little lip over the edges. Um, they also... Uh, so it's great, though, that the Apple TV remote is going to be there and your phone is always in your pocket. So you don't even have to go looking for the Apple TV remote when you want to turn channels. It feels to me like they're kind of bringing the remote back up to the functionality it had with the old Apple TV. And it just took them a little bit longer to get there than everybody wanted. They've also got some really nice Siri improvements with the new version of the TV OS. Uh, my favorite was the ability to search YouTube with Siri. I, you know, we watch a lot of YouTube. I think it's a teenage kid thing, but maybe it's a lot more than that. But it is such a pain to search YouTube. And now you can just use the Siri voice to go make it happen. So my single favorite feature, I think, about what was announced for tvOS, although it won't help me a lot because I don't necessarily have a cable sign in, but it was a great frustration is single sign on finally came to the Apple TV so this means with all of the apps that have to authenticate with a cable provider, you had to go do that individually with every single app. And some of them were different. Some of them made you go to a web page. Some of them had you type in your credentials right there on the Apple TV. But now you just type in your credentials on the Apple TV when the new version is released, and then it will sign you in and then show you everything that you're now eligible to access. And that for people who do have cable subscriptions, that will make it a, or a direct TV subscriptions or some kind of subscription service that will make it a lot easier for them to be able to access content on their Apple TV. Yeah, I was in a room full of developers when that went off, and it was like a joint hallelujah from everybody in the room. Right. Uh, they they also added a dark mode for Apple TV, which makes more sense for the TV operating system. When you're watching movies and things, you don't want that big white screen, so now there's a dark mode. I, I was convinced there was going to be a dark mode for the iPhone and Mac, and there wasn't, but there was one for the Apple TV, so there's one I blew. Um, and they have the ability now for apps downloaded on iPhone to automatically download to the Apple TV, which is nice. I, I think that's huge because now, now it can just happen. I hope that's a feature that you can, you can turn on and off. Um, again, the developer preview for the Apple TV is available today. The actual updates to TV OS will be available again in the fall. And I think we're thinking probably September is just typically when these come out. 
Yeah. Oh, you know, one thing I forgot to mention with the single sign-on is not only can you automatically sign in to the channels that relate to the services you have through your cable subscription, it also shows you all the channels that you can sign on through. So right. if you if you want to spend more time in the Apple TV and not so much time using the interface in your cable box, which is always terrible, you may find out that there's enough apps in there that you can do most of your TV watching right in the Apple TV. That's nice. All right. So um, anything anything else we can talk about with uh, TVOS? Excited? No. Indifferent? No. What, what are you most excited about with the TV? I, I, I don't think there's any one feature for me personally that is life-changing. I think the finally moment for this is, you know, having single sign-on come to the Apple TV. But I am excited to see that Apple is the Apple TV has not been forgotten, that TVOS hasn't been forgotten, and that they're continuing to to move forward with this. So it it wasn't a a revolutionary update, but they are continuing to update it. They are continuing to bring um, you know more apps, especially more content apps, to the Apple TV. You know, Apple knows where they want to head in this direction. They they know that it's a that where their problems are. And, and I think they're slowly but surely heading in that direction as, as they can. To me, the biggest one thing was the search YouTube with Siri. That's going to be so useful. I didn't ask the same question for the watch. So I'm going to ask it now. What's the one thing you're most excited about on the watch? Oh, no doubt the speed increase. Yeah, me I too. Just, that, that's a no-brainer. That's what, that's what makes it usable, I think, now. Yeah. I mean, there was a, a few months ago, there was something going around the rumor mill about how they figured out that the next Apple watch is going to be so much thinner and lighter. And I don't care about any of that stuff. You don't have to make it any thinner or lighter. I just need it faster. So maybe software is the solution. All right. Well, let's take a break and talk about our next sponsor and then we'll come back and uh, let's talk about OS 10. I think that's the last time I can say that. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor fracture. Fracture, as you may know, is a photo decor company that is setting out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. They do something amazingly cool. They take your digital photos and print them directly on glass and add a laser cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. You pull this thing out of the box and it is a piece of glass with your image on it. And I cannot even tell you how great these things look in your home, in your office, wherever you want to put them. They even include the little wall anchor and screw in the box. So you have everything you need right there and good to go. All you have to do is upload your digital photo at fracture.me, pick your size. They've got squares and rectangles and you're good to go. It's that simple and they'll ship it off to you. And they've got this really unique custom shipping container. I, I've never seen one break. It's just amazing. The fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop and their sleek frameless designs really let your photos stand out while matching any decorating style. You don't have to worry about picking out a frame. You don't have to worry about picking out a mat. Your photos are just almost hovering there on the wall in all their beauty. Uh, you don't have to worry, is this going to match? Of course it is, because it's your photo sitting directly there on glass. So it gives you that opportunity to bring a special memory to life. They make amazing, unique gifts. You can decorate your home, your office with the moments that tell your story. And I'll tell you, this is wedding season for me. I've got three weddings that I'm in this summer alone. I, a lot of those people are getting fracture either pictures of them uh, or fracture gift certificates so that they can take one of their favorite pictures from their special day 
and make their own fracture. And it is always a gift that they have been extremely happy about. And it's a way to tell other people about fracture. Fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order. And each fracture is handmade in Gainesville, Florida, from U.S. source materials in their carbon-neutral factory. And, you know, we're coming up on Father's Day, and wouldn't Dad love a great picture of you? Fracture is doing something neat. They're partnering up with Big Green Egg to give away a Big Green Egg Mini Max for Father's Day. So all you have to do is visit eggmydad.com and share your favorite dad quote, dad joke, or dadism to enter. Uh, So you can do that over at eggmydad.com. And if you want to learn more about how Fracture brings your photos to life, visit FractureMe.com. And when you do, please make sure that you click that one question survey at the end and tell them that you heard about them from Mac Power users at checkout. And that really helps the show. Thanks again to Fracture for their support. Okay, so we got uh, a new name for the Mac operating system. Uh, it has been OS 10 now for what now? 15, 20 years. <laughs> I've lost track. Long time. Yeah. And, and, and I'm so tired of people calling it OS X, although it is an X, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they fixed that and they've named it Mac OS. So, uh, M- M- lower, lowercase M-A-C capital O capital S no space. Yeah. It's going to take a while to get used to that as well. Well, I but, tell you, while the keynote was still going, I opened up text expander and changed everything. I, I had all of these text expander snippets for OS X expanded to, you know, altogether OS SpaceX. I, you know, I had OS 10, you know, autocorrected. I had a bunch of those in there. I just changed them all. I remember when I was writing books and it was just called, I think it was called Mac OS 10 for a long time. So I had snippets for that. And then they changed it where they just wanted us to call it OS 10 without the Mac in it. They took the Mac out. And that's when they were changed the uh, iPhone OS to iOS. And now I'm going to change the snippets again to Mac OS, but it's not, it's, it, the capitalization is a little funky. But. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed with the with the capitalization. I, I wish it was a capital M. I wish there was a space, but I didn't expect either of that to happen. And it just, I think it all stems from iOS because I just has, doesn't have a space and it's lowercase. Now, when you look at all of their operating systems, uh, tvOS, macOS, watchOS, and iOS, they all have the same, I guess, styling, style in terms of the way they're written with a lowercase descriptor and um, OS and uh, caps. So either way, we've got that. And we also have the name of the next version. So the next one is macOS and it's the location they're going to use is Sierra. Uh, that, what, uh, Federighi, by the way, Craig Federighi, if you're not going to watch a presentation, you should. I just love the way the guy presents. Uh, but one of the things he says, well, the next obvious solution was Sierra. Well, it wasn't obvious to me. There's a lot of cool places in California. But Tell us about uh, Sierra for us non-Californians. It's just the Sierra Mountains. I mean, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not even really a, maybe, I guess there's probably a place called Sierra. But as Californians, I always grew up thinking of it as, the, as a mountain range. So the Sierra Nevada Mountains. But the uh, either way, they, they're staying up in the high altitudes. At some point, they're going to make it down to like, I want them to get down to Southern California, like Laguna. We should have Laguna. That'd be a good one. But the um, uh, got a new fancy picture, got a new name. And as Federighi, Craig Federighi said, what is a, a new Mac operating system without a controversy over the name? So they've got one. 
Um, the first feature, and they added several features. This is iterative. I mean, I almost said OS X. <laughs> it's going to take me a while, Katie. Uh, but one thing about the Mac OS is it's it's long in a tooth. They've been making it a long time. So every year, they're not completely reinventing the wheel, but they bring a couple nice new features. And the one, the first one they announced is one that I'm most probably most excited about. And it's the ability to unlock your Mac with your Apple Watch. This is, um, I, I can't help but think whether this is a precursor to Touch ID coming to new hardware. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. We've seen third-party apps for a long time that would, you know, knock-knock and, you know, was it Touch, Mac Touch? I, there were a bunch of them that we used to talk about where you could basically unlock your Mac by pairing it with your iPhone and, and doing some of those types of things. And we should have seen this feature coming because there are ways that you can unlock your iPhone um, or unlock your, your watch with your phone and vice versa. And now you can unlock your Mac with your watch. And it makes more sense to let you unlock your Mac with your watch than your phone. Because of course, when you lay your hands on the keyboard, if you're wearing an Apple watch, your watch is going to be right there in very close proximity to your Mac. I'm cautiously optimistic that this will work as well as they, they say that it will, but it makes a lot of sense. And this seems like a feature that only really Apple could do right even though there's those third-party apps and I've tried them and I've usually given up on them because they haven't been that consistent. You have to have, I think, very low level access to the operating system to get these types of security things working properly. And there's probably nobody but Apple that could have implemented this properly. So I'm real happy with that. Uh, they also added the universal clipboard. This is, I don't know, I actually was very excited about a lot of these Mac announcements. And this is another one for someone who's frequently switching between iOS and Mac. Uh, it's obvious there's third-party apps out there that do something like this, but having Apple do it uh, is probably going to make it very easy to use. Yeah, lots of third-party apps have done this before. You know, PaySpot was one of the originals. Um, I, I, there are lots of them who do them now. But and as much as I hate to see those apps get Sherlocked, I think Apple doing it is going to be the best solution for consistency and continuity. There you go. Can I throw that in there? We should probably describe it a little bit if you didn't catch the keynote. It's the ability when you say something to your clipboard on your iPhone or your iPad, it shows up on your Mac and vice versa. So the clipboard works across devices. I'm very curious to see if we can have it save multiple items. And I don't know if it'll go that far, but yeah. And nice. I, and I wonder when it will copy and paste and when it will push things out, because maybe I've copied something on my iPhone and then I copy something on my Mac. But what I want is that thing in my iPhone to stay in my iPhone to paste on my iPhone. I, I could see that getting, uh, you know, a, a little dicey. Yeah. And they also up, uh, updated iCloud drive, a few different ways. The first is with documents and desktop uh, forcing file sync. I can tell you that one of the issues I have, like I've been using the laptop the last couple of days because I've been in San Francisco and I haven't been using it much lately. And I'm very used to accessing documents on iCloud. By the way, I've got like a lot of documents in iCloud lately because we're going to do a show talking about that in the near future. But it's interesting to me that they're not on my Mac you know, my MacBook does not automatically have a bunch of the files that I've saved up to iCloud. And it's always a stumbling block when I want to get into a project for work. Uh, so this is nice that they're fixing that. Um, so so ba do you remember that this was one of the big features of the next operating system? 
years ago. I mean, it was your home folder was going to be stored on the server, basically. I mean, this is basically just a variation of that. But but this was the promise of Next OS, is that you could sign on from anywhere and all of your files would be there because your home folder would be, you know, stored. I think it was stored on the server, but, but basically stored somewhere else. So no matter where you were working from, you would always have access to your documents. Yeah, I mean, this isn't really a new idea, but it's just taken a long time for the technology and the internet backbone to catch up. Right. And the other thing they did with iCloud Drive is this optimized storage. You want to explain that? Yeah. So basically, and and we've yet to see the details of how this will be implemented, optimized storage is will make room for new files by taking older files that you haven't accessed in a while and moving them to the cloud. And we've yet to see the details of, of what Apple considers older files. They used examples for like, you know, old email that's been downloaded or, you know, files that have been in the trash for more than 30 days, they'll automatically delete or they'll they'll clean out some cache files and do things like that. This is kind of what we've already seen with the Photos app. And I think that was a little bit of a precursor to this, where if you were running low on storage, you could select the optimized photos option and, you know, your photos that you haven't accessed in a while would be loaded up to the cloud. And so I think what we're seeing is Apple going to start optimize, you know, to introduce something like that on Mac OS. I'm a little nervous about this. I, I hope that they add much more granular control for users because unless I'm real, I want to know before Apple starts moving my documents to the cloud and before it starts removing things from my local hard drive. That's funny because I had the exact same concerns when I was watching the keynote thinking this is this looks something like the Google, I'm sorry, the Dropbox Infinity product that they were talking about. And we have this issue where you can have a terabyte of iCloud storage or Dropbox storage, but you may have a computer that only has 256 gigabytes of storage. So you if you link it to your Dropbox, or your iCloud, you physically can't bring local copies of all the data in, which is what these services generally want to do. So now you can say, no, keep this in the cloud and keep this down. And Apple's brought it up another notch to say, not only can you control that, we're going to control it for you. We're going to look for the stuff that doesn't make sense for you to keep it. Like one of the examples they used is if you have a movie that you've already watched on your Mac, well, movies are always really big files. They'll say, well, if you've already watched it, we're going to assume you don't necessarily need it immediately. We're going to put it in the cloud for you and you can always re-download it when you need it. Uh, that's the scary part, right? If the computer is making that decision for you, are they going to get it right? Well, and when you need it again, are you going to be someplace where you have internet access? You know, Apple has long made this assumption that we all have ubiquitous internet that is fast and free. And that is not, as we've heard many times from all of our, our listeners, that is not necessarily true. Um, you know, we don't all have always on high speed internet connections accessible wherever we go. So I, I, this is a feature that I, you know, this makes me nervous for a couple of reasons. One is I don't want Apple move, touching my stuff without me knowing about it. I'd like some kind of notification. Um, and and two, you haven't said anything yet about uh, are we going to get any more iCloud storage anytime soon rather than the five free gigabytes? Yeah, that's true. I, I was kind of waiting for that penny to drop. And then they say, and everybody gets 50 gigabytes, or but they didn't do that. So uh, I don't know where that's going. Uh, although I'm kind of down on the automated part of this, I think having this as part of iCloud is a necessary step. And I do want the ability 
to use, like if I want to get a terabyte of iCloud storage, if this experiment I'm doing turns out to be uh, for me to decide iCloud is for me and I do want to make that my primary cloud storage, I'd love to be able to upload, you know, you know, 500 or let's say 200 gigabytes of movie files that I have and be able to access them anywhere I want, but not have to keep them on my device. So I I like what they're doing, but I I have a lot of questions about how the controls will be. And I guess we'll find out as the betas start to release. I am going to install this beta, by the way, on this laptop once I get back home and I'm not using it, you know, for my everyday stuff. And just so Katie's uncomfortable, I will not record any podcasts on it. (laughs) Um, the other piece of iCloud Drive is we now have iCloud Drive File Sync. So uh, files on your desktop and in your documents folder are going to sync. We talked about that a little bit as well. But we're, we're now pushing a lot of data up into iCloud Drive. And I, I think iCloud Drive in the last year or so has generally been better. But I don't know that everybody has been totally pleased with it. Apple is really doubling down on iCloud Drive. And when you're automatically syncing people's files up there and you're moving things to the cloud you better be darn sure it's working well. So I've been, and I don't want to, we're going to do a whole show on particularly looking at Dropbox and iCloud and how they work and don't work for iOS and Mac workflows. But I can tell you that generally I've been more impressed with iCloud with this big test I've been doing than I expected to be. So it's not, it's one of those things like Apple Maps where it gets a bad reputation at the beginning and it actually makes a lot of progress behind the scenes. But I think that's enough about iCloud. Let's talk about Apple Pay on I the am, Mac. I am very, very excited about Apple Pay. This was actually something that I talked about on uh, last week's Clockwise podcast when I was there. I am thrilled about the idea of Apple Pay coming to the web because you and I have talked endlessly about security and the concerns about you know entering our credit card. You know, not so much entering our credit cards online, but other companies storing our credit cards. I mean, certainly there's the risk of your your credit card information being taken, you know, anytime you swipe your credit card in a transaction. But, you know, with all of these companies that we're entering our credit cards into their various online sites, they're saving that information. And sometimes, you know, we don't want them to do that because when the, they get compromised, then we have all kinds of issues. And the beauty about Apple Pay coming to the web, I think, is twofold. One is that it's easy. I can now take the the cards that I already have in Apple Pay and I can very quickly pay for things if websites truly implement it. Now, the question will be, will the websites implement it? Because they may not want to be so quick to give up that information. Um, The other thing is really the big security feature, because my understanding of the way that Apple Pay works is that when I use Apple Pay to pay for something, they're not getting my real credit card number. They're getting a randomly generated number that's associated with my credit card. So if that site gets compromised, if that number gets compromised, it's basically useless and my real number is protected. I'm going to feel a lot better about using, for example, my debit card to pay for things online, which generally I prefer to pay for things with my debit card rather than a credit card, you know, than I ever have. I I never put my debit card online right now, but I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable about paying for things online with Apple Pay than I ever would be before. Yeah. And did you notice that you can authenticate it with the um, Touch ID on your phone or your Apple Watch? It's just really clever. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, I don't know if there's going to be, I think that is also a precursor to touch ID coming to Mac because there is a subset of people out there who use Macs who don't have, who don't have iPhones. I mean, things about, think about, there's gotta be a, either a, 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 an accessory coming to bring touch ID to the Mac for older Macs. 
um, or built into newer Macs because think about those Macs and businesses or Macs and households that don't have Apple Watches or iPhones. I know, uh, you know, how are they going to access those features? There's, there's, there's another shoe left to drop here. Maybe. I mean, they, they kind of get around it too. I, I could also see Apple just saying, well, heck with it. If you want this feature, get an, get an iPhone. <laughs> you know, it's not beyond Apple. Um, uh, just moving on with the other stuff in Mac though, they've, they made a reference to tabs, you know, like we have Safari tabs. Apparently they've opened up the operating system in a way that uh, third-party developers can add tabs to their apps. The example they used was Maps. I don't know if this will be that useful or not, but it was kind of something they're doing. Um, another small item they brought up, but something I like a lot on my big jumbo iPad is picture-in-picture, picture, where if you have a video, you can turn it into just a little isolated image of the video that you can put in any corner of your screen and resize it. Uh, with the big iMac or even some of these larger laptops, it makes total sense to have picture-in-picture picture working on the Mac too. And for some reason, I never thought of it because you could always set up a window for those videos. Um, it's not like iOS, but when you saw the demo of it, it's just so much better than the way we've done it all this time. Yeah, I think what we'll we'll really have to see is whether will sites have a choice and will they be allowed to not opt into this? Because as we've seen on the iPad, there are a couple of um, big name uh, sites and apps. I'm looking at you, YouTube that have chosen not to implement this for various reasons. Well, I, I know a big reason why YouTube isn't doing it because well, you don't yeah. get to see their ads. Right. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, okay. Uh, and then the, the big announcement for the Mac was Siri. Siri is coming to the Mac. Right. Um, did I, I kind of liked the little, I'm going to let this feature introduce itself. And then Siri comes on. It, it harked a little bit back to the original Mac introduction. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a, I think they said it sure is nice. You know, like just the original Mac was it was sure is nice getting out of that bag. Um, I think it said it sure is nice and then said something else. It was a definite callback to the original Mac. Um, it, it seems to me like this is an overdue thing. I mean, we've been talking about this for years. As soon as they brought Siri to the iPhone, why wouldn't you have it on the Mac? It has more processing power. Um, we didn't see a whole lot about what they're doing with the underlying system you know like is it going to be special or is it going to be the exact same commands we have on the phone because on the mac you could do a lot more with siri you could have it you know fire off an apple script or do some things to make it even more autonomous for you and we just didn't see enough to know and that was one thing that i was a little disappointed about in in this demo is i didn't think they took the siri demo far enough we did see where some more sophisticated we, we saw a little bit where Siri was merging with things that Spotlight currently does, like sophisticated queries and natural language queries. But we, you know, show me the the um, the, the files that were modified today or, or things like that. But we didn't see how far it would go. We didn't see a ton of examples of the types of things that Siri could do. Um, is it only a handful of commands? Can Siri do everything that Spotlight can do? I don't think that was really addressed. We did see that Siri can address some follow-up questions, um, but we really didn't see this talked much about in the iOS context either. And I really think that Apple needed to hit Siri hard here um, to, to follow up on some of the competition that has come from the Amazon Alexa um, and Google's products with Siri. And I just didn't think the improvements may be there, but I don't think that they hit them hard enough for us to know that they're there yet. 
Yeah, and, and the demo is weird. You know, serious being very sassy, which I think was kind of scripted. Just yeah, to make I think it fun. I, I think that was. I hope. I hope that was scripted for the keynote because I, that's cute to a point. But at some point, I just want Siri to do what I told. I tell her to. You know, I, I don't want Siri to talk back and be sassy to me all the time. Yeah, it'll be fun to see how all this develops. Um, they also made some improvement to photos, but I want to cover that in the iOS section after the next break. Um, a couple of other things that, that were not necessarily covered in the keynote, but that were followed up on Apple's websites is we did see new music and message features in iOS, and those also get extended to iTunes and messages on the Mac. And we'll talk a little bit about those more when we talk about iOS. Uh, and then a feature that will make John Syracuse very happy is there is mention of a new file operating system that is is coming and then will be fully introduced in 2016. And so I put a link to the Apple um, uh, PR library press release about that. And it's yeah, basic, so we- basically a file system that is optimized for flash and SSD storage and features strong encryption, copy on write metadata, space sharing, and cloning files and directories. So uh, a lot of the things that we've looked for. HFS Plus has been with us a long time, so it's it's good that we're getting a new file system. Yeah, uh, this one is called same, APFS, Apple File System, I think is what it's short for. And at the same time, the thought of converting my system to a new file system is terrifying. So um, just be, I'm sure they'll have it figured out, but th- that'll be something we talk about on the show as it comes out, because you're talking about rewriting all the data on your drive when you do that. Yeah, and a, a lot of what was announced at the keynote is is really just the the media stuff, the stuff that's going to be interesting to consumers. There's a whole week of WWDC going on where the developers are really going to get hands-on and get the nitty-gritty. In fact, the State of the Union, if, if you only watch one other thing about what's going on at WWDC besides the keynote, I would say watch the developer State of the Union. You can access all of these now on the Apple WWDC app, which is available free in the App Store. Um, and that it gets a little geeky, but it will give you a, a bit more deeper dive into some of the things that were introduced today. And you'll get a little more information about what's going on. Yep. OK, so uh, we are we are still have a lot to cover and we're an hour into this. So why don't we take a quick break and let's talk about iOS 10. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Simply indispensable. Anybody that pays for their shoes writing words is going to find that they write the same words over and over again. It could be something simple like an email address or a phone number, or it could be something bigger like a sales proposal or a legal brief. If you find yourself typing the same thing over and over again, that's just crazy. Whether you're on your iPhone or your Mac, you've got enough computing power at your disposal to send a man to the moon, but instead you're still typing out text by hand. That's why you need Text Expander. Text Expander can take the tedium out of typing repeated words and phrases. I use Text Expander snippets for just little bits of text and entire documents. Not only that, Text Expander goes way beyond the usual snippet. For example, I use fill in the blank snippets with Text Expander to create custom forms, and I send out emails and documents with them all of the time. Using Text Expander, you can also create snippets that use the contents of the clipboard to create automatic fill-in snippets. It's a really powerful tool once you try it. Using Text Expander, I have snippets that can fill in the current date and time or even perform date and time math to insert future or past dates and times. 
And now because this all integrates with the Text Expander online service, you've got access to your snippets on all of your devices with your Text Expander user account. If I make a little change on the iPhone Text Expander, it automatically shows up on my Mac and my iPad. Because Text Expander also hosts the snippets, you can share your snippets very easily, and they even have options for Teams. Now, recently I did a series of video tutorials all about Text Expander, and it's like getting a Max Sparky video field guide for free, but you find it on the TextExpander.com website. Head over to TextExpander.com videos to see them all. I worked really hard on those videos, and I'm really proud of them. The videos cover everything from the most basic feature to some of the most advanced techniques, and if you watch all of them, you're going to be a pro at this. Whether or not you've purchased Text Expander, I recommend going and checking them out. But if you're already an owner of Text Expander, I really recommend it because I think you're going to learn some new things just watching those videos, and the app will become even more valuable to you. So go ahead and check it out. Head over to TextExpander.com to learn more about the application and TextExpander.com videos to watch those tutorials. Thank you, TextExpander, for supporting the Mac Power users. I, I thought it was interesting after we, we got rid of the X and Mac OS X, uh, the, the, the slide that came up for iOS 10, I was like, I wonder if it'll be an X or a, a, a 10. And it was, it was one zero, it was a 10. Just to take a moment, I mean, it's hard for me to believe we're to double digits with iOS now. It, it really seems like yesterday that, you know, we were, I remember the little roadmap to iOS 2. That was, seems like it was just it a few days ago. Does it make you feel old? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It goes fast. I, I was doing something for somebody and uh, their, their date of birth was in 1999. I'm like, oh yeah, they must be what, like seven, eight now? And I was like, oh dear, no, <laughs> much, much older. So they brought in a bunch of new features. They call it the biggest iOS release ever. I'm not sure if that's the case or not, but there are a lot of nice new features. Now, I think if it's the biggest iOS release ever, then I think there's, there might be a little bit more coming still. Um, yeah. So yeah, Apple exactly. really, really, they gave us, they typically give us a couple of tentpole features. And I think it was kind of fitting that for iOS 10, they gave us 10 features. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. And, and it started with the redesigned lock screen. And they didn't really explain it in great detail, but it is much prettier. And they have addressed some of the issues that we're facing with the modern iPhone. Yeah, so we're seeing um, better notifications on the lock screen. So we're seeing a little bit of a redesign on the lock screen. You can now, when you raise your phone, the lock screen comes up. I know that was a complaint of people when Touch ID got so fast on the iPhone 6S that a lot of people weren't seeing the lock screen anymore. Yeah, so I've had to train myself with my iPhone 6S to... um, press the side sleep wake button, the one on the side of the phone, if I want to look at the notifications. Because if I just touch the home screen button at all, it just unlocks and skips them all. And I'm sure that was a problem at Apple too. So now you just lift the phone up and then you get your notifications. I'm sure there's some security issues for that. Some people are not going to want someone to be able to see their notifications just by lifting the phone. And um, Well, that's always always been a feature where you can... um, you can tweak that because you can always say, what do you want to appear on the home screen? So for things like notification and mail, you can turn that off in notifications so that they don't appear on the phone screen. Yeah. And there were, um, I've already seen some of the, um, the fruit company employees walking around with the new iOS on their phone and the home screen does look noticeably better. Um, the, 
the notifications themselves are not only easier to read because they have a white background now. So no matter what your background image is, you're going to be able to read your notifications. They've also added a whole interaction interface to it. So it's not just static information now in that notification screen. You can actually perform actions on it and re, uh, re- reference data as well. If you have a 3D touch enabled device, though, is my understanding, correct? I think so. I haven't tried it yet, but I understand. I think some of that data is going to show up no matter what, but uh, with the 3D touch, you go further. Yeah, you can have live interaction with them. You can clear your notifications. You can get additional information about your notifications. You can actually dig in inside your notifications and do things. One of the things I didn't like is somewhat related was they made quick reference to Control Center getting a new design. I was really hoping we would get some customization features for Control Center. I would like to be able to change out like the calculator from the built-in one to pcalc. I'd like, you know, there's some things I'd like to be able to do in Control Center where the apps that are important to me aren't there and ones that I don't care about are, and that didn't happen. Right. And they also got, I think, some new music controls and Control Center, which yeah, they're nice, they're fancy, they look pretty, but I think that also took the music player, which is something that I access quite a bit, off the main Control Center screen, which is kind of annoying. Yeah, so now when you access Control Center, you can swipe to uh, to access uh, additional information like the music. Right. Um, also on the home screen, there's always been that pull up for to access the camera. Now you're going to be able to swipe right for the camera, swipe left for widgets. Uh, you know, I think, again, a lot of these are going to depend on how you have your settings. I personally, I, I don't have my widgets accessible from the home screen because I keep my iPhone pretty locked down because the types of things I have on the widgets are not something that I would want someone to be able to access if they just picked up my phone. I'm sure that you'll be able to control that as well. Uh, the second big point they added, which is the one that got everybody excited, is that Siri has now been opened up to developers on iOS. Yeah, this so is that, one that got me very, very excited. Yeah, so that... Here, that go go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, but here's what I'm not clear about, and, and maybe you know the answer to this. Is it how opened up is it? Because they then gave some very specific examples of how it's opened up. So my question, again, we'll learn more as we get deeper into the sessions, is... Is Siri limitedly open up to developers so that you can do these types of things with it? Or how open up is it? It, it reminded me of like when we first had background processes on iOS and there's only certain things you can do, like play music or do certain tasks. Um, they didn't say that, but the way they explained it, it sounded like there are limitations. And I was trying to get an answer madly during the lunch hour, and I didn't. So at this point, maybe by the time you listen to the show, we'll have a definitive answer. I hope that it is open for anybody. One of the things I noticed, however, is the syntax obviously is going to get a little more complicated. Like even the examples they had when you activated Siri, you had to make specific reference to the app. Like you can't say add, like if I wanted to put a task in OmniFocus, theoretically, I wouldn't say add buy bananas to my task list, I would have to say, tell OmniFocus to add bananas to my inbox list or something like that. And so, you know, with that additional ability to bring in third-party apps, you're going to have to refine what you say to uh, Siri to make it work right. Yeah. Some of the specific examples they said of things that are opened up to Siri um, include messaging, specifically Slack, WhatsApp, and WeChat. Uh, ride sharing, so uh, services like Lyft and Uber, 
photo search, so you could photo, uh, third-party photo services could plug into it. Third-party workout services can plug into it. Payments and VoIP calling. Uh, that's a pretty limited list, so I hope that it's it's open much deeper than that. I'm hoping that was just examples that they gave, uh, but we'll see. Yeah. The third big item, Well, I, and I guess I don't, I'm giving it short time because I don't want to go on for hours, but... I think Siri, if it's as open as I hope it is, is going to be really eye-opening and hopefully make Siri even that much more useful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, for example, one of the things that I didn't hear is, like, uh, music apps or playback apps. Like, will if will I be able – like, for example, one of the things that was not mentioned now in the keynote is, is you can delete the, the original Apple app. So you could delete the podcast app. You could delete the tips app. You could delete the compass or things like that that you aren't using. C- could I tell Siri to play the Mac Power Users podcast – in Overcast, or or would she just start playing it in Overcast if I didn't have the podcast app? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and we're gonna find out. But th- that's like a prime example for me is if you were driving down the road and you wanted to activate Siri and say play Mac Power Users, you could do that without having to look at a screen. You could do it with just your voice. I, and depending on your podcast app of choice, theoretically you would be able to do it with Siri. Currently, you can only do that in the podcast app. Um, anyway, the, the next big item was QuickType, and this is something that's been going on for a couple of years where the keyboard and Siri and everybody's looking together to get smarter about data entry and making it faster for you to do things. Um, this is the next level of that. Um, so, for instance, if someone sends you a message and says, do you have Katie's phone number? Um, the phone will actually read the question, and this is all done on the phone. That's one of the things I said repeatedly about all this stuff is everything is done on the silicon on your phone. We're not looking on the server to read your messages. This happens on your phone locally. So if someone asks for Katie's email or contact information, I may get a recommended recommended response that that provides that information so I don't have to go dig it out. Uh, And um, just heading back to the Siri thing for a minute, I'm going to provide a link to an Apple developer site. Unfortunately, the way that I read this, it looks like we may have an answer to our question that Siri's API um, supports only those domains that we've talked about, um, audio or video calling, messaging, sending and receiving payments, searching photos, booking a ride, and managing workouts. But I've just had a chance to glance at this very quickly. Obviously, those things could change. Um, But I'm going to put a link in the show notes to Apple's developer article on what's new in iOS, watchOS, and tvOS, and macOS. And and hopefully those will provide some additional information that we're not able to cover here. That's sad if it's true, though. <laughs> I really wanted it to be yeah. wide open. Like I'm thinking, you know, because I'm thinking Overcast, Drafts, OmniFocus. None of these apps are in those categories. Um. Anyway, well, the, what did you think about the Quick Type feature? Um, I thought it was uh, helpful. I mean, this is this is basically taking predictive text to a different level. Um, and, and I think that has always been helpful. It's something that I've used quite a bit, uh, particularly on the Apple watch. And uh, so it looks like they're also getting into intelligent calendaring. So when someone sends you something about, you know, having lunch or scheduling a lunch appointment, it's going to be smart about, you know, looking in your calendar and finding responses as well. Yeah. All of this felt pretty iterative to me. You know, I was kind of hoping that we'd get a lot more kind of revolutionary changes out of Siri and we didn't. Uh, we got improvements, but we did not get anything that's just crazy. Uh, uh, photos, however, got some changes that I did not see coming. That's the next big thing they talked about. 
And for a while now, everybody's been looking over at Google Photos and what they're doing with pictures. And one of the nice things about Google Photos is when you upload your pictures to them, it, it will go through algorithmically and apply faces and look for objects in the photo. So when you search, you know, uh, you know, baseball bat, you're going to find all the pictures that have a baseball bat in it. And Apple is trying to do the same thing now, but they're trying to do it on the phone. This is another one where they emphasize this is not, you know, we're not reading your data. We're not looking at your pictures. This is your phone doing this work for you. Yeah, I, I was excited about some of the changes to photos. I was also a little disappointed that some of them didn't go far enough. And we didn't really hear about photos on, on iOS. So I wonder if some of that is is yet to be seen. I, I We're going to see facial rec. It's really putting back in some of the features that were available um, in iPhoto back into Photos apps. And I think the reason that Apple is doing this now is because they weren't doing it until they could do it in a way that happened solely on the computer and not in the cloud. Because again, Apple seems to be really doubling down on the privacy feature. So. Yeah, they don't want they don't want to be responsible for looking at your pictures or keeping them on their server, or at least giving them access to them. Um, so I, I like the way they've gone about doing it. I have to wonder if it's going to work as well as it would with a cloud service. And I'm very curious to see how well this works as the betas start rolling out. They also added a really nice feature, which is something that I think I would use called memories. Yeah, I wasn't, it, I wasn't sure what I thought about this feature, but go ahead. Tell, tell well, I mean, it, it would look at your pictures and look at the location data and the calendar data. And it would say like Hawaii trip because it would look to see that for five days you took a lot of pictures in Hawaii. And it would pull together some of the videos and the pictures and put together kind of like a little gallery for you. And this just happens on device. It takes zero time for the user. And, you know, the devil's in the details. Hopefully it works as well as they demo it. But if it does, I mean, you could be flying home and have your gallery without having lifted a finger. I think it's really nice. And this is an example of something that Apple's really good at with the design of it and the layout and all of that. So I'm actually kind of optimistic about that feature. Um, we'll see how it's, how it's implemented. I, I think if nothing else, I think what a lot of people really like is this um, five years ago today or, you know, time, I, I, there's an app called time hop that I think will do it. And Facebook will do it. It'd be like, Hey, remember, remember this memory from five years ago today. I, I like going back and looking at some of those. I'm sure they'll integrate some of those type of features in there. And those are just even very basic things. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes. It feels to me like photos got a lot of work. Yeah, and you know the the underlying system is working now. They're adding some of the bells and whistles on top of it. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do for the video field guide because it, it may require an entire reshoot with the way it's advanced. I'm not <laughs> sure, and that is a lot of time. So we'll have to figure that one out. Um, yeah, maps also was another temple feature. Feature it was number five. Uh, that got uh, quite a bit of attention. And I, I got to say, I was originally pretty down on Apple Maps when it was first announced, but this is a feature that has come along quite a bit. And I've been traveling uh, a lot this weekend um, with family down to a wedding. And I have been using, uh, whereas Google Maps used to be my default maps, I have now been using Apple Maps almost exclusively now for probably the last six months or so. And I've been pretty happy about it. And they introduced some new features that I think will make it even better um, one is that it's going to be more proactive. So when you're getting your turn-by-turn -turn directions, 
It will, you know, if you're on a, a long straightaway where you're not going to turn for a while, you know, it's it's going to give you a longer view so you have an idea of what's coming up. And if you're kind of in the, the city where you're making lots of quick turns, it's, it's going to give you that information kind of more quickly and in a heads up display so you can tell exactly where you're going. Um, it's also going to give you more information about uh, traffic and, and rerouting you. Um, but perhaps the feature that I'm I'm most excited about is, you know, being able to quickly find things around your your route. Like we were we were traveling, and you know, we wanted to get gas, we wanted to get coffee, you know, we wanted to stop off and and find a restaurant. And with normal map apps, anytime you try to divert, you know, it is such a nightmare. You know, the the phone starts screaming at you to say get back on track and do these other things. You know, it would be nice well, if it, the, the app could help you find other things. And not only that. It will give you recommendations of gas stations that are five miles behind you just as easily as it will that, that are five miles ahead of you. Right. And this seems a lot more engineered around knowing that you're on a trip and this is something we want to find something on your way. Uh, another thing I really like about the demo was I I, um, I use Apple Maps a lot because it works with Siri so well. And, you know, Siri is my interface when I'm driving. And the thing I like I don't like about the existing version is the way it shows traffic. It's like this red dotted line that's barely visible. It looks to me like the the interface got some nice work. Yeah, I think they've spent quite a bit of time on that. Um, they've also allowed, they've opened up maps to developers, but again, in, in a somewhat limited way. And I think that we, we've seen that happen a lot in, in this WWDC is they've opened up maps to developers through the use of extensions. So, for example, if you want to use an extension and the the examples that they had uh, to book a ride through a ride sharing app like um, you could do that. You could book a ride to a destination. Um, If you wanted to make a reservation at a restaurant like with OpenTable, you could do that with a plugin with Apple Maps. So I'll be curious to see. I mean, obviously, they have a Apple clearly has a few specific uses in in mind for for Apple Maps, but. Uh, you know, I could see other other developers plugging into this, like, you know, developers of, of apps that show you what are the best prices for gasoline or or apps that show you where you can get healthy food or things like that. I mean, so those are things that could happen. The whole thing feels to me like um, the lines are getting blurred between apps. And this is a theme that I saw from today where there's a lot of more interactivity. Um, while I, I grant you it's not as unlimited as we would probably want it, I'm sure you got to take this stuff in baby steps. And I thought putting basically app components into maps is a great idea. And I'm looking forward to seeing how well it works. Yeah. Well, we've made it halfway through. We've gone one through five. Uh, we've got five more tentpole features left of uh, iOS 10. Let's let's take our final break of this episode and then let's come back and talk about those. So I want to take a moment to tell you about our next sponsor for this episode, and that is our good friends over at SaneBox. Now, if you have not tried SaneBox yet, you need to, because the folks at SaneBox have told us that more than 66% of Mac Power user listeners who have ended up trying SaneBox have ended up subscribing to it. So there's a pretty good chance that you'll love it too. So here's what SaneBox does. It automatically filters your email for you. So you don't have to fuss with all of the unimportant stuff. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. It works with all kinds of email programs and services. You're not going to have to change a thing about your existing workflow. It's just going to add in and work. SaneBox has great email filtering. So the first thing they do is that they give you the Sane Later folder. So the first time you sign up, it will go in, it will analyze your inbox. You don't have to sit there and watch. 
and it's going to look at what's important to you based on your email behavior. It's going to keep only those most important emails in your inbox, and then everything else is going to go into the Sane Later folder. Now, SaneBox is fully trainable, and the more you use it, the more it will learn. So if there is an important in email in that Sane Later folder, just pull it back out into the inbox, and SaneBox will learn. And vice versa, something in the inbox that you don't think is that important, put it in Sane Later, and SaneBox will learn from that too. And once you get the hang of that, you can start expanding into SaneBox's services. For example, they've got a black hole folder, so you can unsubscribe from emails with just one click. My favorite thing is the snooze folders. That means you can defer emails until they're more appropriate to handle. So it's great for deferring emails until like the next business day or emails that you get over the weekend. You can defer them until Monday. And those are emails that they don't disappear. They just leave your inbox and then they pop back when you tell them you want them to. So you don't have to worry about them and you don't have to have them at the top of your mind. There's also a great feature called Sane Reminders. So if you send someone an email, but you want to make sure that they get back to you, you can BCC like one week at SaneBox.com. And if your receiver doesn't reply, you'll get an email in one week to follow up. And you can even add more custom filtering email boxes. Like we've got one for the feedback email box for this show. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that SaneBox can do. There are various pricing plans. They start as low as $4 a month, and they've got a 14-day free trial. This is really something that you have to see to believe. I signed up for the SaneBox 14-day free trial when they first came on as a sponsor to the show. It took me all of two days to realize that this was indispensable to my workflow. So go check them out over at SaneBox.com MPU to save on your first plan. And thanks to SaneBox for their support of the show. So Apple Music... Remember last year they got a brand new app, right? You're going to have to talk about this because I zoned out during this part of the presentation. (laughs) Well, we got a brand new app last year. So obviously we were set for many years to come. But then this year we got a brand new app too. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So a couple of bits of information came out. They basically did a redesign of the Apple Music app on the iPhone. And one of the things I noticed about it, and they mentioned immediately, is you see your library versus downloaded music, which was really confusing for people before. Yeah. And and now it's going to be easy to differentiate um, music that is downloaded to your phone as opposed to just all of the music in general. They, they still did not go the step that I was hoping that they would go. They did not break out Apple Music into its totally separate app, but it seems to be easier now. Well, no, uh, soon enough. But uh, it, it clearly, just by the very first screen, you can see that they knew this was a problem that needed to be addressed. Um the they still have references to like the for you tab and some of the other stuff that I'm not sure has ever worked very well. Uh, I hope that got some attention on the back end as well as the front end. Um, lyric support is now built in, so when you're playing music, you can scroll down to see your lyrics, which is kind of nice. Um, I think it's you know, I really like using Apple Music. I know you're not a, a huge fan, but I listen to it all the time. Even just on my trip, it's been really essential to me as I'm sitting here trying to do work, put my headphones in, use Siri to fire off some great music. Uh, so I'm happy that it's still continuing to get love. I mean, music is a big part of Apple. So, of course, they're going to try and get it right. Uh, that part of the presentation, uh, the lady was trying to get people to dance with her. You know, on stage, she was trying to get people going and, you know, this is a room full of developers. I don't know. It just didn't seem to work. Um, it was kind of awkward, really. But the uh, but the underlying well, but improvements you, were good. I, I think she did a good job. I was very happy. I was very glad to see her come up on stage. I'll probably get. 
I, I was so happy to see her come up on stage and Eddie step down for a few minutes because I thought she did a lot better job with that presentation than Eddie did with the presentation last year. I mean, Ed, Eddie Q is probably a great executive over at Apple, but the Apple Music presentation last year was just so fumbled and so disjointed and disorganized. And uh, I realized they wanted to make this light. They wanted to make it a little funny. Maybe some of it didn't quite land right, but I think she did a much better job with this presentation than Eddie would have. Oh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. That was like a low point last year. And this year it was, I think it was almost part of the shtick that she knew people weren't going to really get into it because everybody's in the room is trying to figure out how they're going to be updating their apps for all this stuff. And suddenly they want you to clap and dance. But the... um. But overall, I mean, the music app got a refresh. So if you didn't like it before, uh, hopefully you'll like it now. If you really loved it before, there's a big chance uh, that you're not going to be happy anymore because it's changing. <laughs> yeah. And, and we should mention, and I, I may mispronounce her name, and if so, I, I apologize, but that's Bozma St. John was her name. And um, she, uh, according to her Twitter profile, she is the head diva of global, global consumer marketing at Apple Music and iTunes. And there's a great photo in my Twitter feed of uh, Jean McDonald um, and, and her at, after the keynote. So Jean's just making, taking full advantage of this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, um, and, I, and I like that Apple has a head diva. That's good to know. Yeah. So, cool. All uh, right. yeah, Jean uh, and Gray are both in that picture. And yeah, it's mm. great. And I think she's, and she's wearing an app camp for girls button. So she's already, already good friend to us. Well, that's, that is Jean McDonald at work. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, they also, number seven on their list was the news app, which it, it got very short shrift in comparison to some of the other features, but news got a redesign that is very similar to the Apple music app design. What did you think of the new design of these apps, by the way? I, I don't care. I don't use the news app. I don't really use much. Well, I mean, I do use the Apple music app purely for playing my own music, so... I liked it. I thought the new design is it's a little whimsical. They've got some heavy typography for titles, um, a lot of white space. Uh, I'm looking forward to spending more time with them and getting a better idea. One of the nice things they added to the Apple News app is the ability to add subscriptions, which will be fun if that's your thing. If you want to read the news through subscriptions, now you can do it right in the News app. Yeah. Um, the other thing that they they talked about, you, you talked about, subscri you mentioned subscriptions, but we haven't really seen how this will flesh out, but you can add subscriptions to the Apple News app. So is it, it, it they're kind of like taking another, another stab at the subscription magazine service thing? In a way, it feels like they're, excuse me, in a way, it feels like they're folding in some of the features they had with that in this completely different paradigm. So as I understand, like if you have the Wall Street Journal and you have the subscription, you can get all that content right in the Apple News app. And if you have multiple subscriptions to, to places, then you can all do it in one place, which would be good if it works. I, you know, I actually use the Apple News app pretty often because it's in that notification center. It's at the bottom and I occasionally see a headline down there that grabs my attention and then off I go into the Apple News app. Yeah, it's, it? it's probably something that I should use more often. I've got a pure, pretty curated feed. I use the Breaking News app quite a bit, and I think I've I've mentioned that on like one of our live shows. It was one of my picks, and I although I was able to watch the keynote today, sometimes I'm not able to depending on my work schedule. And I've got a, a couple of very custom push notifications. The thing that I like about the Breaking News app is I can custom uh, my 
my push notifications. And so I've got a push notification set for like breaking news near my location. I've got a push notification set for a couple of um, keywords. And then I've got a push notification set for Apple. And so on a day like today, I was getting push notifications. I probably have gotten about a dozen push notifications related to Apple. But on a normal day, I typically only get push notifications, you know, maybe two or three times a day with, with breaking news. So big point number eight of 10 was HomeKit. And they announced that they're going to have a new app called HomeApp or HomeDonAp. Finally, finally. Yeah. They, it felt to me like when they first announced HomeKit, I expected all of the stuff that happened today to happen like within three months of when we first got HomeKit. I just feel like we've been in this dark place for, was it three or four years now where HomeKit yeah. was something that we didn't really have any ability to use? Yeah, to me, this is is kind of like a, almost like a too little too late. I mean, there's already been a third party iOS app that I use that I think is also called Home. So I don't know if Apple just totally Sherlocked it or ripped it off or or what is going on with that, that would basically allow you to do what the Apple Home app is allowing you to do. But this should have been there from from day one. But basically, you can control individual devices. You can create scenes. What I did not hear about HomeKit that I was hoping to hear, and, and maybe we won't, is getting more devices into the ecosystem. You know, we didn't hear anything about how Apple is going to work with people like Wemo who want to get their devices into the HomeKit ecosystem but have you know, this this huge amount of, of older devices that aren't compatible with HomeKit. So, you know, is Wemo ever going to come into the HomeKit fold? I, I, I don't know. Or is it going to have to be a, a Gen 2 Wemo at some point? And on those of us who, who have older Wemos are just are out of luck. You know, I want to know how Apple is working with device manufacturers to get HomeKit everywhere because I just haven't seen it being that greatly adopted. And right now I'm kind of... St- you know, stuck in, I, I want to start adding these smart devices to my home. I, you know, I want to, I, I just got this, this Chamberlain MyQ garage door opener thing, but it's not HomeKit compatible. You know, I, I still have this folder, this growing folder of apps on my phone for all these smart home devices that I have to control. And very few of them are HomeKit compatible. Yeah. I, at one point they put on the screen, a big list of manufacturers that are interested in or working with them. And it was a big list. And my question was, if there's so many people that are interested, how come I went in the Apple store yesterday and there was one shelf of HomeKit related devices? It was about three linear feet and one shelf. And that was all the HomeKit devices they had. And this was in the super big San Francisco Apple store. It just doesn't seem like it's taken off. Maybe this app will help. Maybe they just needed more time. But, you know, the jury's still out on this one. But I'm glad that they at least have a controlling app that Apple's making. And the app looks pretty nice. But you've got to have, like, they were showing off how it can shut your blinds and all that. Where they didn't have any blinds in the Apple store. I mean, you know, where, where, where is all this stuff that they're using? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's frustrating to me. It yes, it's it's helpful. Thank you, but it feels like too little, too late. I don't know if it's too late yet because I don't think anybody else has really taken it on by by storm either. Right now, this is just a like a lot of little fiefdoms, and if at some point HomeKit is convenient enough for a lot of manufacturers to to add that to their list, then that'll be great. But it hasn't happened yet. But 
but it doesn't feel to me like they're really grabbing the bull by the horns either. You know, they've got this now, but I don't know how far Apple is really committed to it. Right. Um, one of the big welcome changes that I was happy to see, again, something that I mentioned on the, the Clockwise podcast last week, um, is changes to the phone app. And I still use my iPhone as a phone. Granted, that's not one of my primary uses, but I am so tired of voice of spam that I'm getting on my phone. Are you getting spam calls? I mean, I must be getting several a week, maybe not quite one a day, but multiple a week. You know, one of my dirty secrets is if when my phone rings, if it doesn't say who the person is, if I don't know who it is, I don't answer the call. So um, that way I don't get a lot of that voice. I mean, that does require the phone to go off once in a while. In fact, one of them came in while we were recording the show today and I didn't recognize the number. So it just goes straight out. And quite often the spammy people don't leave voicemails because there's a lot of ways they can get sued if they don't do it right. Um, so, so, uh, the, the, the long answer to your question is I do get it, but I don't really have to deal with it too much, but they've added a feature here where they're going to try and identify spam for you just by the number that's calling in. Well, I don't know that Apple is doing it. I, my, and, and I may be wrong here, but my understanding is they're adding an extension API so that third parties could do this. I don't think that Apple is agreeing to take this on, but I know that there are some third-party apps out there that will attempt to do this, but they've not been able to have direct access to the phone app. So now it seems like you could subscribe to a service or buy a third-party app uh, that will allow you to tell you about possible spam calls. Oh, okay. I didn't get that. Well, the, the other thing they're doing, because you know I let a lot of things go through to voicemail, I, I, just can't, I hate listening to voicemail, just sitting there, doing nothing while I have to get through this messages and I just want the phone number and they, you know, they leave me a 30 second message. And then at the end, the, they stay the number in like a half a second. So I can't capture the whole thing. Now uh, the new phone operating system is going to be transcribing your voicemail for you. I think that's really nice. Yes. I'm very excited about this. This is one of my favorite features about Google voice. And now it's going to be native on the iPhone. I'm really excited about all of these phone apps. I, uh, the other thing that I'm, and maybe that's because I use my phone for business quite a bit and uh, we make calls on it. I, the other thing that I'm really excited about is we are getting a VoIP API. Um, and basically what that means is there have always been some third-party um, VoIP services. Vonage is a popular one. Cisco has some. And they've always been separate apps on your phone. And so you could you could use the Vonage app to make calls out on your phone, but it would always be through the Vonage app and you would have certain features through the Vonage app. And I'm using that as an example. I'm sure that there are others as well. But now you have the ability where um, these services can tie directly into the phone app. So you have a more seamless call experience. So when you get a call on your Vonage line, it's going to come through just like a regular phone call would. And when you get a voicemail, you can, I believe, see it through your voicemail line. And when you have someone in your address book, you can choose whether you want to call them back, you know, through the regular phone app or, or through the voice over IP app. And, you know, that's huge. I've been looking at some of these VoIP services. Um, and I, honestly, my that will be a big selling point for me of, of which one I might, you know, we might ultimately go with. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I, it's nice to see that after 10 years, the phone can still get better. Oh, it's gotten a lot better. The you want to talk about the big one, number 10? I am not happy about the big I I mean, I'm just so indifferent. And I f I've never felt older watching an Apple keynote than I do <laughs> right now. 
Okay, um, well, well, let's hear about Katie. But, I want to know what what you're upset about. Uh, no, number ten is messages. Now, let me let me preface this with: I have never been a big texter. I, I think I just missed that. I think I was like in a gap generation that missed the texting thing. I mean, I didn't have cell phones. You know, we, I didn't have cell phones when I was real young. I didn't have cell phones in high school. It was when I was. It was. You know, when I was in college before I got my first cell phone and texting was miserable experience on that. So texting just wasn't a thing in my life until I really became a a, a young adult and, and older. And so and I, I don't have kids, so I don't text with them. So I, I don't think I'm of the texting generation. I will text with people to communicate information. But um, all of these changes to the texting, to the messages app, I just kept looking at these and going, who does this? Who cares? Oh my gosh, please do not. Can I turn these off? Can I make it so that people can't emojify? Emojification was a word that was used in today's keynote. Can can I turn that off so people can't emojify their messages to me? I have a hard enough time deciphering what people are trying to say in text messages. Have I ever felt like an old woman more than I do right now? I think they need to give you an automatic text entry to say, get off my lawn. Yes. Like get every, off my every lawn. Time, every time you get one that's emojified. Of course, you realize now that you've told me how much this upsets you. Oh my you, gosh, you're going to emojify everything. I am going to emojify you like crazy. And I, I am going wait. to get a text expander snippet with the most vulgar response that, you know. I don't know that you're capable of it, Katie. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you can get that vulgar. You're too sweet. I think there are a but, couple of emojis that might be appropriate. <laughs> so, so let's talk about because I'm actually a little bit more excited about it than you are. Well, actually, it would be pretty difficult to be less excited about it than you are. Uh, but I do use text messaging. I text with my kids all the time and some of my friends. I I wasn't really into texting back in the days when you had to press the key three times to get the letter T and all that. But but once we had phones like the iPhone, I I saw an advantage to texting. Uh, to begin with, just as part of my career, like being in trial and having someone be able to text you that a, a witness is running like that's something before I would just not get the message because you can't answer a phone call while you're sitting in a courtroom. Uh, so I saw the benefit of it. But with my kids and I, we text all the time, just, uh, you know, I'm in San Francisco and my oldest and I have been watching Game of Thrones together. And so I was in a hotel room on Sunday night and she was home and she said, hey, I'd really like to watch it with you. So I said, OK. So I was thinking that I would be watching it on the on the iPad and she would call me and we would talk while it was playing. But as soon as it started, it was clear to me she just wanted to text whenever there was something interesting happen and otherwise watch the show. And, you know, I don't know. It's a way for me to connect with my kids. And the problem with words is they're just words. They're very one dimensional. And everybody listening to this can probably tell a story of when they've received a text or an email that said something and you read context into it that wasn't there. You might have read somebody wrote something. You might have thought that they were being snarky when they were being genuine or just the opposite. Or you may have read it and you thought they were being angry when they were being, you know, you just don't know because they're just words. And allowing you to express a little bit more emotion, emotion, you don't call it an emotion, um, through this messaging, I think is a good thing. So I'm not as down on it as you are. But I guess we should talk about the features. Yes. Um, uh, so th they've added the ability, like you can, when you send a text message, you can uh, add emotion to it. Like you can make it big, like you're really happy or screaming and they can have it where small, like apologetic. 
They've got some that will bounce in and just kind of show emotion with the way the words are delivered. They also have these effects where like the bubble themselves, there's one that's called invisible ink where the words are kind of hidden until you swipe over it and then it displays them to you. You can even add a, a handwritten message. It, it felt to me like the stuff that we used to be have on the watch, the friends button for the watch kind of got moved over to the phone. Um, I don't know how useful the handwritten thing would be on the phone, but if I was using my iPad, I think I could occasionally see myself scratching out a handwritten note and sending it off as a text message. Why not? And of course, it has really beautiful animation because Apple made it. And then they have this thing called full screen effects where you can make like fireworks uh, go off in the back of the screen or the confetti. And, you know, when my kids have something really great happen to them and they tell me about it via text message, I'd like to, like, add some fireworks to my reply. I want them to know I'm excited for them. So uh, I I'm, I think I'm kind of uh, not only am I not ambivalent to this, I'm kind of a fan of this. Uh, I also think that Apple did this because a lot of third party services are doing this already and they want to retain people in iMessage. Yeah, that was one of the things that I thought was interesting about this is we did not, I was expecting the the one more thing or the next app, the, the next feature that was out there um, to be iMessage coming to Android. And we did not see that. Um, I guess that's not yeah. necessarily something that has to be announced at WWDC because that's an Apple developer conference. But I, I kind of was expecting to see it. Every time Apple puts an app on Android, it gets one starred into oblivion. You know, because of all the fanboys. Um, so maybe they just, I don't know, maybe just not that interested in it. But uh, I would rather see him get it right on iOS anyway. I'm not all that excited about it being on Android. Uh, one of the things they added that I didn't mention was um, stickers where you can like, well, actually, deeper than that, they've added iOS software development kit. So uh, not only can you get things like stickers where you get stickers and literally apply them to messages, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. That's something my wife will love, by the way. Somebody's going to come up with a set of Disney stickers and she's going to buy every single one of them. So that'll be fun. Uh, but they also had like the ability to send money through the iOS software developer kit. So you can you can send cash to somebody through the text message. And it's, this is another like this deep integration thing, just like with maps, where suddenly you're doing more in the messages app than just messages. And I like the fact that iOS is getting this deep that we can have stuff like this. Yeah. Now, I was not we had heard this rumored, but I did not see this specifically mentioned of Apple Pay person to person payments coming through iMessage. Have you seen that specifically mentioned? It, it was in the keynote, but it wasn't through, it was through a third party money service. And there, there are apps that you can give money to friends with, and now they've got hooks into the message. So, right. So it's still, uh, I would have to use a third party service. I can't just say pay David Sparks with whatever's on account from my Apple Pay to hit. I guess that makes sense because yeah. you don't really have an account set up with Apple Pay to receive payments. Yeah. But, um, and that's going to be really nice. I, I don't know. I, I'm, um, I think this is going to be a nice improvement. I think it was probably time for messages to get these types of improvements. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see the appeal. I see why Apple did this. I mean, from a from a marketing and from a business perspective, 
more people feel better about this than I do. I mean, when you look at the marketing that they did and, and with the, the video that they did, Apple is clearly the Apple's target market is going to love this feature. Kids are going to love this. Teens are going to love this. Young adults are going to love this. Uh, I mean, this does a lot for Apple. Messaging is a real hot thing. I, I don't begrudge Apple for doing this. I am not looking forward to getting these messages personally. And and for me, nothing has to change. I can still use messages the way that I've always used it. And I do see a couple of features that I might use in messages. For example, when someone sends me a message and I just want to send them a quick, you know, thumbs up that, yes, I received this, I can I can use tap back to do that. Um I I don't see myself using a lot of these features, but I, I think it's a good thing. It, it was it from, from Apple's perspective, this was a great thing to add to iOS 10, and I think it was a smart move for them. For the cranky old man thing, the emojis got bigger, so they're easier to see. Right? There's a good yeah. one. Okay, I don't oh, have that problem or, yet, but okay. Or it can also go back and look at the message after you write it, and they called it Emojify, where you can, if you've got, a reference to graduation it can put a graduation cap in it i mean part of the thing is i i would like to use more emoji because i think my kids like it and it's fun uh, but it's just such a pain to go find the right emoji uh where now the the operating system kind of does it for you i, I the other thing is and don't kid yourself this is going to sell a lot of iphones because people are going to see those and they're going to be like i want the phone that can do you know, do that to my messages and I want the phone that can have the stickers and all that. So uh, I, I think this was a smart move for them on several levels. Um, Mac Rumors has an article about a, a few lesser known features that have come to iOS 10. Are, are you about done? Are we done with the 10.10 poll features? Yeah. Yeah. I, I had some notes, too. So let's go over the Mac Rumors ones and then uh, some of the ones I had written down. Yeah. So um, Mac Rumors had a had a couple of notes. Um. Sorry, I'm just pulling up the link here and it's taking a minute to load. Um, one of the big ones related to messages is that you can now send read receipts to the individual based on individual people, which is nice because I, right now you have to send read receipts and messages to either everybody or no one. And I like sending read receipts to to people that I know and I message with frequently. Like I, I, w I want you to know when I read your messages. I want my immediate family to know when I read my messages. Um, but I don't necessarily want everybody else to know when I've read their messages because I may not be ready to respond or I may not want to respond. So I like that. I can definitely see myself turning on uh, read receipts per person. Um, they also said that you can turn on music storage optimization. So if your iPhone is low on space, it can automatically remove music from the phone that hasn't been played in a while. And you can tweak that. You can say, don't do it. Um, you know, do it at four gigs or eight gigs or 16 gigs or 32 gigs. So you can tweak that, which gives me um, a little more hope that, that you can tweak the optimization settings uh, for, for other times when Apple is going to remove music. Um, other tidbits is um, Game Center has been removed. So I don't know what's going on with that. If maybe Game Center is, is no more and has gone away. Um, Apple has created a new wake alarm which is a, a bedtime tab that basically in the clock app uh, where you can set a wake alarm function that will gently remind you when it's time to go to bed. Because I guess if you have a set time when you go to bed and a set time when you wake up, it's it's supposedly better for your sleep cycles. So it can send you a, a gentle reminder of it's it's time to go to bed now. And then if you want to sleep seven hours, eight hours, nine hours, whatever, you can you can set it and then it will automatically wake you based on your bedtime. 
Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of like buried features. They made reference to a bunch of things in passing towards the end. One of my disappointments was we didn't hear too much about iPad productivity, and I was hoping that we'd hear a ton about that. Uh, but I, I suspect that there are a lot of tweaks inside the system that just weren't worthy of, you know, a tent pole discussion at the keynote. Uh, but one of the things they talked about is split view for Safari. So now you can have two Safari tabs open at the same time on the screen, which will be nice. Yeah. On um, the iPad. Mail is apparently going to get some features, including mail filters, which we've long wanted filters for mail on iOS. Um, as well as a new conversation view in mail, which we've talked about in the context of some third-party apps. No reference of whether we're going to get a share sheet in mail. And I I am tempted to download the beta on a device just for the sole purpose of looking to see if we have a share sheet in mail. If we don't, again, um, I honestly don't know what to say. I mean, Apple has made these share sheets and this integrated system that makes everything better and they won't implement it in their own mail app. It is completely insane. If Yeah, I'll just say that if they don't do it again this year, it's insane. So that'll be interesting to get an answer to that question. Um, Did you catch that when uh, Federighi said very quickly, oh, and by the way, Notes got a bunch of improvements, including collaboration. Did you hear that? Um, I, I heard him say collaborations in Notes. I, I don't know what the other features are, but I don't plan on collaborating with you on Apple Notes. We'll see. Uh, okay, so we're going to do a show outline in Apple Notes, right? We, ha- we have to. We have to. Just give me one. Not happening. Just give me one. How are we going to know if we don't try it? I think we should totally try it with one. Okay. Maybe maybe we'll, maybe we'll do our, our iOS 10 show outline in Apple Notes. The, the Apple has yet to do collaboration of words well. And they're taking another stab at it here. I want to see if they pulled it off or not. So anyway, but that's interesting. I, I hope that they did some more with notes than just that. But the fact that they're working on collaboration to me actually says quite a bit. Um, One of the things I was interested that we did not see is they really didn't talk about any iPad specific features. Um, maybe they're waiting until there's an iPad announcement. So that may be something that's coming more in September with if they announce a new iPad or updates to the iPad Pro. But we didn't hear about any iOS 10 features that were specific for the iPad. And I would have thought that we would have heard that. Um, no mention of multitasking changes or, or anything like that. Yeah, it makes me so crazy using the iPad Pro when I go to that right pane and I want to change the app. And the only way for me to do it is to scroll manually through this massive list. There's no search. There's no it's just it's crazy. So I'm really hoping that's something that got fixed that didn't justify, um, you know, a section of the keynote. How could that not justify a section of the keynote? Maybe they just figured, you know, in the past, the iPad version of the um of the beta has been behind the iPhone version. Maybe that's just what's going on now, I don't know. So, so a couple themes I saw in the presentation today uh is there's lots of discussion of China. Everything they talk about is oh and also this works in China. So you can see that that's an important market to Apple. But the other thing I thought was especially in light of the past year for Apple is you know, there's a there's a huge debate going on now in the community that Apple largely does not take part in about whether or not the the ultimate failure for Apple is going to be the way they their their privacy policy. I mean, Apple very clearly does not believe in keeping its users data. I mean, they've had these court battles and, you know, they are actively trying to limit their access to your data as much as possible, which I think in general is a really good thing. 
And maybe that's just me telling my age that that is important to me because I'm not sure it's as, as important to people younger than I am. Uh, but, you know, the downside of that is without that big data, like Google keeps all. Well, I don't want to say they keep all your data, but they they do read your data. And that's one of the ways they're able to bring these awesome services to bear. And the question in the community has been, can Apple keep up with these types of services when they're not you know, reading your data? And they answered that question today very directly. And they said, we are going to do it. There's a couple of things they're doing. The number th- first thing they're going to do is um, they believe they can do a lot of this processing right on the device. And bring, doing it on the device means that it's it's never up in the cloud. And I think this is Apple again, you know, doubling down on the privacy. Now, what is what is yet to see is can they do it as well or reasonably enough as well as Google is for consumers to be happy with it? Because, uh, you know, a lot of the Apple consumers get the, the privacy argument. A, a lot of them care about it. But there are a lot of people out there who just say, I want this to work better. I, I want these yeah. cool features. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is a moving target. Every year the devices get more powerful, but as do cloud services get more powerful. And, uh, but in technically what they're saying is we want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to respect your privacy, but we want your device to become super smart and able to do a bunch of this stuff for you locally. And they've been moving this direction, but this year it's explicit and I can't wait to see how well they pull it off. The other thing they talked about is, uh, anonymizing data you know with the term they use was differential privacy where for instance the example was we want to know what the trending words are that people are typing the most so we can make sure to add those words to the autocorrect features and they have implemented a system they didn't explain the background of it i want to research it more but my guess is knowing apple that they're real serious about this they they do want to get some big data but in a way that it doesn't allow them to know really anything about any of their users. And between those two points, you know, execution is one thing, but at least in terms of lip service, I'm satisfied. That's what I want. I want privacy, but I want some of these convenience features too. Now I want to see if they can pull it off, but I I like the direction they're going in. I would much prefer that to them saying, okay, we're going to be like Google and we're just going to read your data now and start doing that. I don't really want them to do that. Right. Um, and then finally, the, the well, anything else on iOS uh, or Apple generally? Before, before, I just I want to yeah. mention um, the one thing that we haven't mentioned that was mentioned in the keynote. And, and I'll tell you candidly, as a non-developer, I'm not sure that I have enough much to say about it other than to know that it was mentioned um, is Swift Playground app did come out from the iPad. And I'd be interested to talk um, after this comes out and, and we've had a chance to play with it. I know Gene McDonald was very excited about this and the implications that it has for teaching people about Swift and how she could use this in her app camp for girls curriculum. Um, and I oh, know I, not I, just for ba- for introduction to development, but um, for, for developers in general. I, I've been around developers all day today. I'm, we're recording this a, you know, a few hours after the keynote, but I spent the morning with the developers. I watched it with developers. They all flipped out when this came on. And they all the, everybody said the same thing. Why couldn't I have had this when I was a kid? I, this would have been so amazing. Uh, you know, Casey Liss was saying, boy, I wish my son was just a little bit older so I could get him started on this right now. You know, So I, I think it's a really great thing. It's on iPad. It's not a full development environment but it's a great teaching platform and i'm sure that you know at 
WWDC in 10 or 15 years from now, there will be people that got their start in this app. Swift Playground for iPad is what it's called. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. It's something I may play around with as well, you know, development, learning how to code. You know, I've, I've often joked that I, I want to go to App Camp for Girls so I can learn how to code a little bit. It's something that I've never done. You know, maybe, maybe this is my introduction to it. Why not? Why not? Oh, overall, um, a lot of iterative and improvements. I don't think anything was revolutionary, but uh, I sure hope that they can deliver the goods because there's a lot of stuff here that looks like it's going to be fun. I'm I'm excited about it. So, uh, betas of all of these are now available to developers. So, if you're a registered developer with Apple, you can get your hands on it now. Um, for the rest of us, if you want to participate in the public beta program, Apple has said that those public betas will start rolling out in July. Now, I don't. Uh, what What do you recommend? What is your policy on participating in these these betas? And then, what do you recommend for other people? I recommend not participating in them unless you're really willing to like lose a half day once in a while to things just not working. Um, for me, like I have two Macs, I have a laptop and a desktop and the laptop doesn't get used that much. So I'm going to teach, treat this essentially as kind of a test bed for uh, the Sierra operating system. And I will probably load it on one of my iPad pros as well. But one I'm not one of the, the benefit of having many. Um, yeah, I don't know yet. Uh, probably the smaller one. Cause the bigger one I use for so much productivity stuff. And, um, you know, if I had to pick one, it would probably be the smaller one to get the, the beta, but I don't know. I'll tell you next time we record, I'll have decided by then. And I'll actually probably be able to give you some feedback too on it. The, um, but I, I would not do this on your only device especially this early. I mean, if maybe in two or three months, you feel like you want to be risky, but these early betas are always rough. And I'll tell you my personal philosophy on this is I probably will not install any of these betas probably until early August. I'm going to let us go all the way through July and let us get, you know, through the first couple of betas. And then even then I will be installing the public betas. I probably won't install the developer betas because those will be a little bit safer um, I will not install those on my production machines, and I will make sure that I have good backups before I do this. And so for those of you who are considering doing, you know, installing these, let me let me just give you these tips. Number one, do not do this on any machine that you use to make money. Do not do this on any machine that if it went down for some period of time, it would cause you great angst or great trouble. Do not do this on a machine that you do not have a comprehensive backup for. Um, and, and just be, I, I would not do this on your main device. And, uh, you know, these are betas for a reason. These are very early stages. There will be problems. And, and here's the other thing, your apps aren't going to work. There are going to be apps that are going to break. And that is not the developer's fault. I do not think that there's any expectation that your apps are going to work or that your apps are going to work flawlessly. Certainly until after, uh, the final release of these, these operating systems, sometimes in September. So although I'm sure developers are appreciative of constructive feedback um, in in the beta process. Uh, there is no expectation that your apps are going to work during a beta. All that said, if you have an extra device and you're a nerd, it's a lot of fun getting in on the betas and seeing how things work. So uh, I, I don't want you to feel like they're toxic, but just like Katie said, if it's a machine you need to get your work done, you have no business installing these betas on it. 
All right. Sounds good. Well, um, David, we've gone a little bit longer than normal. We're getting close to the two hour mark here. Any any final thoughts or anything we need to talk about or can we can we let people go and move on? I think we can let them go. I think it's a good news. I really like the way the, the, the big takeaway for me is Apple is trying to solve that problem of protecting my privacy and making my devices smarter than ever. And I really hope they can deliver on it because that's exactly what I want. Well, we'll definitely have more to say about this in the coming months. We will probably be doing shows on uh, the new OS, the new iOS, and and maybe even the new Watch app after they come out. But we'll probably be doing those sometime in the fall, you know, either before they come out or after we've had an opportunity to play with them. So this is kind of the last of our speculative podcasts, and we'll be back to your regular Mac Power users with our next episode. But for now, we do want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you uh, to our sponsors, Audible, Fracture, Smile, and SaneBox. Um, If you've got feedback on this or any other episode, you can send those to us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. The show is on Twitter at MacPowerUsers. David is Mac Sparky, and I'm Katie Floyd. And David, I hope you have a great time and stay safe down there in San Francisco over at WWDC. I'm having so much fun, Katie, and uh, meeting clients and going to parties and getting a little work done. I wish you were here to enjoy it as well. Hopefully next year we'll get you out here too. I hope so. I plan on it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.